0: Well, good morning. It is great to be with you this morning. As many of you know, over the last few Sundays, we've been having a short series of sermons introducing our theme for 2018 here at Netherwood Park. And that theme is Out of the Boat, Living Uncomfortably. And today will be the last sermon in that short series before we return next week to our series Out of the Book of Romans. Also, I don't want you to forget that our uncomfortable challenge for this week is to meet someone that you don't know, someone here at Netherwood Park that you don't know, and do that today before you leave. Um, I should apologize to any visitors that we have. Uh, You may get inundated with people seeking you out so you can be the person that they don't know, but please, let's do that today. And if I don't know you, if you don't know me, if you'd do me a favor today, if you'd track me down at the back of the auditorium after services and meet me, I would really appreciate that because if I don't know you, I would like to get to know you. And I'll announce our uncomfortable challenge for this coming week at the end of today's lesson, so be listening for that. So we've been using the passage that Vincent just read about Peter getting out of the boat and walking on water. And we've been using that to examine why we are often so hesitant to get out of our comfortable boats and join Jesus out on the water. We've been trying to answer the question, if God is calling us out of our boats, and I assure you, God is calling us out of our boats. If God is calling us out of our boats, then why are so many of us so frequently stuck in our boats? A couple of weeks ago, using the story of Israel's timid refusal to trust God by moving into the promised land... And by using the story of young David's bold decision to rely on God and confront Goliath, we saw that a major reason why we stay in our boats is that we live by fear instead of living by faith. And when we allow our fears to direct our actions, we stay in the boat. But when we allow our faith in God to drive our decisions, we get out of the boat and we join Jesus out on the water and then last week we saw that sometimes we stay in our boats because we aren't sure that we can trust that the voice we're hearing the voice that's calling us is truly the voice of God but last week we discovered that God's voice is constantly calling us it's not always a loud call it's not always a dramatic call it's not always a burning bush call. But God is continually calling us to get out of our boats and walk with Jesus and walk like Jesus. So when we hear the voice calling us to be loving and joyful and peaceful. When we hear the voice calling us to be patient and kind and good. When we hear a voice calling us to be faithful and gentle and self-controlled. We know we can trust that voice. We can trust that that's an authentic call from God. It's a call to get out of our boats and to walk like Jesus. And today we're going to explore a final reason why we are often glued to our seats and stuck in our boats. And that reason is a fear of inadequacy. We often stay in our boats because we're afraid that we don't have what it takes To leave our boats and go out on the water. We find ourselves stuck in our boats because we don't believe we're adequate to the task before us. We cling to the safety of our boats because we don't trust that we're big enough to leave our boats. It's the same fear that kept Israel out of the promised land and sent them wandering for another 40 years. It's the same fear that kept Saul and his army glued to their tents day after day as Goliath came out and mocked them. It's the same fear that kept 11 men in the boat while Peter and only Peter stepped out and walked on the water. You see the 10 spies and the Israelite people asked themselves, are we big enough Are we strong enough? Are we adequate to the task of conquering those nations that are already entrenched in that promised land? And their answer was no. We're not big enough. So they stayed in their boats. And Saul and his entire army asked themselves, Are we big enough? Are we strong enough? Are we adequate to the task of taking on this giant of a man in hand-to-hand combat? And their answer was also no. They weren't big enough. They weren't strong enough. They weren't adequate to the task. So they stayed glued to their boats. And obviously, if the 11 men in the boat with Peter had asked themselves if they were big enough and strong enough, if they were adequate to the task of actually walking on water, the answer would have been no. We're not big enough. We're not strong enough. We're not adequate to that task. So they stayed In their boat. And you know, in each of these cases, no was the correct answer. It was the correct answer to the questions that they were asking. None of them were adequate to the task at hand. So their problem wasn't that they'd arrived at an incorrect answer, their problem was they were asking the exact wrong questions. And I pull up a picture of a man and his son at a pool. I don't know about for you, but for me, this picture brings back all kinds of memories. I can distinctly remember as a very young child standing at the edge of a pool with my heart beating and questions running through my mind and looking down at my dad in the deep end of the pool, at least it seemed deep to me, and questioning, should I jump into the water to my dad? And I would look at the water, and I would look at my dad, and I would look at the water, and I would look at my dad, and I was frozen on the edge of the pool, trying to decide if I could trust my dad if I jumped in the pool. I was asking myself questions. Is my dad really big enough? And you know, I'd never asked those questions about my dad before. Is my dad strong enough? Is my dad tall enough? Is my dad paying enough attention? Is my dad coordinated enough? Is my dad trustworthy to catch me if I jump into the water? And what's my dad doing? Well, my dad's doing what dads do in those situations. My dad is encouraging and coaching. He's saying, you can do it. Don't be afraid. I've got you. Go ahead and jump. I've got you. See, my dad didn't tell me, go ahead and jump because you're tall enough, because I wasn't tall enough. And my dad didn't tell me to go ahead and jump because I could swim well enough because I couldn't swim at all. And my dad didn't tell me go ahead and jump because, well, this water can't harm you because that water could harm me. It could drown me. My dad told me, go ahead and jump because I've got you. Because I'm big enough. Because I'm strong enough. Because you can trust me. My dad told me to jump because you know that I'm telling you the truth. I do have you. I will catch you. I won't let you drown. My dad was telling me, You can jump. You can do it because I'm big enough to keep my promises. And that's why I jumped in the water. I jumped in the water because my faith in my dad overcame my fear of the water. And it overcame my fear of my own inadequacies. I'm too short. I can't swim. And so this morning, I don't want you to picture yourself on the edge of the pool. But I do want to picture yourself on the edge of the boat. And I know as we stand on the edge of our boat wondering whether we can jump into the water, we have a lot of those same kinds of questions. A lot of those questions should sound familiar that we have as we're trying to decide if we're going to jump out of the boat. Sometimes we wonder, can we really trust God? Can we really trust God to catch us when we do jump? Sometimes we even wonder, is God... Adequate to this task? Will God keep his promises? Is our God big enough? Is our God strong enough? And you know in our Bibles we read story after story of people asking those same kinds of questions. We see person after person standing on the edge of their boats asking those same questions. They're looking at the water and they're looking at God. And they're looking at the water and they're looking at God and they're wondering. They're trying to decide. They're wondering, if I jump, is my God big enough? And during those times, in those encounters, as those decisions are being made, as those people hesitantly try to decide if they're going to jump, we often in the Bible hear God ask some questions of his own. And he asks some rhetorical questions of his own. There are lots of stories, I'm just going to mention a few. I'm reminded of Abraham and Sarah. You know, they've been given this great promise, a promise of numerous descendants, a promise of great nations coming from them. And there's only one problem, they don't have any children, and they can't have any children. And the years go by, and that promise continues to be reaffirmed, but no children arrive, And not surprisingly, doubts creep in. Fears creep in. It's probably not surprising that Sarah tries to help God out. Because apparently she doesn't think God is equal to the task. Sarah isn't sure that God is big enough to keep his promise. And really, who can blame her? She's 90 years old and her husband is 100 years old. And I probably don't have to tell you, 90-year-old women and 100-year-old men simply don't make babies. They're not adequate to that task. And then we find God comes and visits Abraham and Sarah. We're in Genesis chapter 18. We'll start in verse 10. The Lord comes to visit Abraham and listen what happened to what happens and listen to God's question. The Lord says to Abraham, "I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife will have a son." Now Sarah's listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years. And Sarah was well past the age of childbearing. So what did Sarah do? Well, Sarah laughed to herself. She laughed as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Then listen to the question that God asks. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And then he reaffirms his promise. I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. So as we're standing on the edge of our boats and we're trying to decide whether we can trust our God, the first question I want us to hear God ask us is this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And as God asks us that question, we should remember a year later, Sarah gave birth to Abraham's son. She gave birth to Isaac. It's question number one, is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, for question number two, we're going to move forward in time. We're going to move to the time of Moses and the Israelites out in the wilderness. And as we join Moses and the Israelites, the people have become tired of their monotonous diet of manna. It's manna in the morning. It's manna at noon. It's manna in the evening. They're tired of manna. So we're in Numbers chapter 11 in verse 4. We read this. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites began wailing and said, if we only had meat to eat. Verse 6, they say, we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. So the people are complaining and God is angry and Moses is feeling simply overwhelmed and put out. Moses complains to God about this burden of leadership that's been placed on him, the burden that he's having to bear. So God gives Moses some leadership help, and he also decides to answer the people's whining. Basically, God says, if you want meat, I'll give you some meat. Verse 18, God says, I will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it just for one day or two days or five or ten or twenty days. You'll eat it for a whole month. You'll eat it until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. If you want meat, I'll give you meat. And Moses' reply is really very interesting. Basically, Moses says, and just how am I supposed to make that happen? Verse 21, he says, here I am among 600,000 men on foot, And you say, God, you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? He's saying, Lord, how am I supposed to make your promise happen? Listen to God's reply. Listen to God's question. God says, is the Lord's arm too short and then he says, you will see now whether or not what I say will come true for you. Is the Lord's arm too short? So the second question I want, to hear, I want you to hear God ask you as you're standing on the edge of your boat is this. Is the Lord's arm too short? And as we hear God ask us that question, we should remember that God caused a wind to blow quail in. Quail in all around the Israelite camp. In fact, the quail were three feet deep for miles around the camp. Is the Lord's arm too short? Well, for our third question, we're going to move to the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Mark. Beginning in verse 14, we read about a father who has brought his son to Jesus' disciples for healing. And it's something that Jesus' disciples weren't able to do. And as the story unfolds, we learn that this boy, since his childhood, has been possessed by a spirit. A spirit that's robbed him of speech. A spirit that throws him onto the ground, makes him gnash his teeth and foam at the mouth. A spirit that has repeatedly tried to kill him. And after the boy's father relates these facts about his son to Jesus, the father says this to Jesus, verse 22. He says, If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now listen to Jesus' reply. Listen to his question. Jesus says, If you can? If you can? Everything is possible for him who believes. So the third question I want you to hear as you're standing on the edge of your boat, deciding whether you can trust God to step out of the boat, the next question I want you to hear God asking is, if I can? And as we hear him asking that question, let's make sure that we remember that Jesus commanded that spirit to come out of that boy. And the Spirit came out, and the man's son was healed, and the man's son was restored. If I can. Finally, I want us to hear God asking the same question that Jesus asked Peter after Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and focused instead on the winds and the waves. After Peter began to sink and cried out to Jesus, and Jesus rescued Peter, Jesus asked him, Why did you doubt? See, we're on the edge of our boats. We're trying to decide if we can trust God to step out of our boats. And God is asking us, is anything too difficult for me? Is my arm too short? If I can? Why do you doubt And you know, the way we answer those questions determines whether or not we're going to be water walkers or if we're going to be boat sitters. After all, what was the difference between David and Saul and his army? What was the difference between Caleb and Joshua and those other 10 spies? What was the difference between Peter and those other 11 men in the boat? See, the difference is that David and Caleb and Joshua and Peter had faith. They had active faith. They had true faith. See, David and Caleb and Joshua and Peter believe that nothing is too difficult for the Lord. And because they believe that, they jumped out of the boat. And David and Caleb and Joshua and Peter, they trusted that God's arm is indeed long enough so they jumped out of the boat see David and Caleb and Joshua and Peter knew that God not only can do what he promises they knew God will do what he promises so they jumped out of the boat they had faith that if they jumped God would God would do what he said he would do David had faith that if he jumped out of the boat, God would guide that smooth stone from his sling into Goliath's head, and he did. Caleb and Joshua had faith that if they jumped, God would drive the nations out of Canaan before his people. And God eventually did when the people finally trusted their God. And Peter... Peter had faith that if he jumped, God would keep Peter's feet on top of the water as he walked to Jesus. So Peter jumped, and God did. See, water walkers jump because they know their God is big enough. They know his arm is long enough. Big enough and long enough to do anything and everything that he promises. But boat sitters sit. Boat-sitters sit because they're afraid and they're unsure, because they have doubts. See, Saul and his army and the other ten spies and the other eleven disciples, they all stayed in their boats because they lacked true, active faith. They were afraid that if they jumped, God wouldn't. Maybe even God couldn't. They were afraid that God couldn't guide the stone. They were afraid that God wouldn't drive out the nations. They were afraid that God couldn't keep their feet above the water. Boat sitters sit. Boat sitters don't leave the edge of their boats because they don't trust that their God is big enough. That his arm is long enough. And that he can do anything and everything he promises. So as we go into this new year, the question that we should be asking ourselves is, are we going to be boat sitters or are we going to be water walkers? I want us to end with five lessons. Five lessons for people who want to be water walkers. Five lessons for people who want to quit hanging on the edge of the boat and instead jump out and join Jesus out on the water. So here's lesson number one. Walking on the water, water water-walking faith, focuses on God's abilities, not on your abilities. See, the question isn't, are you adequate to the task? Because I'll tell you right now, you probably aren't. Instead, the correct answer, quick question for us to ask is, is your God adequate to the task? And I want to reassure you the answer to that question is certainly yes. Lesson number two for water walkers you will never know God is trustworthy if you don't obey his call. I had to jump in the pool to know my dad was big enough. Israel had to enter the promised land and David had to confront Goliath and Peter had to get out of the boat to know that their God was big enough. So the more frequently we jump, the more we'll learn to trust and the greater will be our faith. Our faith doesn't grow while we're simply sitting in our boats. Lesson number three, the way we live our lives lives is a consequence of the size of our God. See, if we believe that our God is small and limited, guess what? We're going to lead small and limited lives. And those lives are going to be confined to our safe and comfortable little boats. But if we believe the truth, the truth that our God is big and limitless, will lead bold and significant lives... And those lives will be led out on the water walking with Jesus and walking like Jesus. The way we lead our lives is a consequence of how big is our God. And lesson number four, the consequences of living with a small God are fear and anxiety We're afraid and we're anxious because if we're in our boats, we believe that everything depends on us. If we believe that God is not big enough, we rely on ourselves and we know we're not big enough. So we're afraid and we're anxious. See, if everything depends on me, I should be afraid. If everything depends on me, I should be anxious. I can't drive out nations. I can't defeat giants. I can't walk on water. I can't jump into the deep end of the pool without my dad there to catch me. I will drown. If it all depends on me, I should stay in my boat. There's no way I'm leaving my boat. It's scary out there. But that leads us to lesson number five the consequences of living with a big God are confidence and security. We have confidence and security because everything depends on our God. I can lead a confident and secure life because nothing is too difficult for my God. I can be confident and secure because his arm is long enough. I can be confident and secure because he can and he will keep his promises. So I look at the water and I look at my God. And I look at the water and I look at my God and I jump. I jump because my God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Let's pray. Father, we believe, help our unbelief. God, you are all-powerful and all-knowing. Father, you're the creator and the sustainer. Father, you're the God of all glory. And Father, you are a promise keeper. And Father, forgive us as as we evidence our weakness, as we evidence our doubts, as we evidence our fears, as we evidence our lack of faith and trust in you. Father, help us to lead bold and significant lives out on the water with Jesus because, Father, we trust in you. And, Father, you are more than big enough. Father, help us to that realization. And we pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So don't forget... Your challenge today is to meet someone before you leave today that you don't know. And let me give you the challenge for this coming week. The challenge for this coming week may make you more uncomfortable than the other challenges we've had so far. And this challenge is to invite someone from your church family who you have never before had in your house. Invite them over to your house for a meal or coffee or whatever excuse you can come up with to have parts of your church family in your home. That meal doesn't have to happen this week, but please make the invitation this week and make the plans this week. Now, I know some of us simply aren't able to host someone in our homes, and I understand that. If you're not able to do that, make plans to have a shared meal or a shared cup of coffee somewhere else, at a coffee shop or a restaurant, but meet together with someone from your church family that you've never done that with before. That's challenge number four, uncomfortable challenge number four. So as we end today, I want us to end by standing and singing about our great big God and then I want us to go meet someone we've never met before. Let's stand. Let's sing.